Today's reading will be from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall and with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, and its length the same weight, the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height were equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carillion, the seventh crystallite, the third beryl, the fifth topaz, the tenth Christophrase, the eleventh Jasith and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were the twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. 
and the streets of the city were pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no more temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Church, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Megan, thank you so much. Whew, that, was, that was a lot to read. Uh, hope you were able to stay in the whole time. Um, pray with me as we continue, as we enter into this time. Lord, we, I mean, we, we just read that text, and, and there's, there's so much there. Uh, Lord, there's so much there that, uh, as, as we'll read later and we'll talk about later, and Paul says in Corinthians that, Eye has not seen nor ear heard. It is absolutely unimaginable to think about what you have in store for your people. And yet here we are in Revelation 21 trying to catch sight of what it is you have for us. And so, Lord, we need your help. We need you this morning to be with us by your spirit, to guide our time, uh, to, to encourage our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would bring light and truth Uh, to this morning, to this time, to this text, so that as we walk out of this space this morning, we might be stirred uh, to run the race that you've put before us for the prize that we have um, before us, but also, Lord, for those that that, that do not know you that might be here this morning or might be listening online, Father, that you would help them to see the glory of the hope we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, um, help me. um, Help nothing I say to be outside of your will or your truth. Um, Father, but only what is in accordance with your word uh, that we have today. So, Lord, uh, thank you for your word and our time together. uh, Now, Lord, we ask that you would be, uh, give us your favor and be blessed the rest of our time. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so as you know, last week, Brandon was up here and he had the opportunity to talk about the great white throne uh, judgment. Super easy text. Um, I was a little concerned when he got up here. I'm being sarcastic, by the way. Not an easy text. It's actually a really hard one um, because there's just so much there. But I was a little nervous when he came up with a fishing pole last week. Um, Wasn't sure uh, how that was going to go. But hey, nobody got injured, so we're grateful for that. But you know, you come into Revelation 19 and you end Revelation 19 with the great white throne judgment. What is so fascinating about that, or what's so beautiful about that, as we now shift into Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22, is that everything bad is now done, like in Revelation. Like, like just let that sit for a second. Like, that's, that's yeah, that, we should clap for that. Like, after that moment, from here on in Revelation, like, it's all good. Like, it's all hopeful. That's why I didn't want Brandon to preach this message, because I wanted it. Um, because this is a good one. Like, this is a fun one. So no, this, is, this is something we get excited about, something that is beautiful, and that as Christians we so rarely talk about, and yet it should be something that should drive us forward in our faith and give us encouragement in our faith, even as we walk through uh, the days that we live in this place. And here's the thing. As we consider what we just read, and as we consider what we'll talk about next week in Revelation chapter 22, it is important for us to be reminded 
that nothing that I say is going to do it justice. We just can't. That's what the scripture tells us, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians when he's speaking of heaven and the new earth. says, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Like that can't be overstated, which means this. You can all go home today and sit around your tables and do as much imagining about what is to come as you possibly can and be as creative as you can and you haven't even touched the surface of it. I just don't know how to get my mind wrapped around that. Like, I, I don't know how to be so excited for that. The best thing I can think about is when uh, my wife was pregnant, and I remember with our, with our first kiddo, and just the excitement that I had for that. And I tried so hard to think about what it was going to be like when that little baby was there in my hands for the first time, right? I mean, I tried to put myself in that position. I tried to imagine how exciting it would be. I had people tell me that it's going to be full of anxiety and fears and, uh, and all these good emotions and love. And, and I got to experience it with friends. I got to see my, my niece get born. And none of it, none of it, None of my expectations were even close to what the reality was. And I think about the, the distance between my expectations of that moment and the moment of when I held that little baby in my hand for the first time, the distance between that pales in comparison between the distance between whatever you expect heaven to be and what it actually will be. So that is where we need to start this morning. So be reminded that as much as we can dream, we're going to fall short. But that should not stop us of dreaming, amen? It shouldn't stop us of imagining. It shouldn't stop us uh, and thinking about what it is that God has for us because he has given it to us in Revelation 21 and 22 and other parts of the scriptures. So let's just jump right in. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. After all of this has gone on, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So this verse jumps right in, and it gives us three concrete truths about what to expect in regards to what is to come. It is new, it is real, and it is sealess. I know that's probably not grammatically correct, but I couldn't think of another way to put it in there. And just think about John. John has seen so much destruction, so much suffering. So much fear, so much damage. He's seen plagues. He's seen beasts. He's seen dragons. He's seen people beheaded. He's seen the harlot. He has seen the seals and the trumpets and the bowls and fire and the earth being peeled back. And now he gets to see this. And what this is is not like the old. This is new. This is consistent with all of Scripture. This isn't something new to the New Testament. In fact, look at Isaiah chapter 65. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. For behold, what is he going to do? He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. I mean, can you imagine something being so good that you won't even, this, this won't even come into mind? Like what years we live in this world, the 80, give or take, years, right? Maybe 90, maybe 100, maybe 60, whatever it is, that that won't even come into mind when we get here because it's so amazing. What a day that is going to be. 
Revelation 21 goes all the way back to Genesis, the first creation, because we've seen all of that undone, completely unraveled. And now we have a new one, and it's perfect, untainted by sin, untainted by brokenness, untainted by by the curse, untainted by death, untainted by injustice, untainted by anything. Like, it's brand new, and we all love something brand new, don't we? Like, is that just me? Like, I think it's the only thing that can explain the iPhone phenomenon, right? Because every September, Apple comes out, and they give us a new iPhone, and it's the same thing. A little bigger or a little smaller, depending on which way they go that year. A little better camera, but it does all the same stuff. Sorry for all of you crazy Android users. We love you anyway. Right? But here's the thing. We get the new iPhone, right? It comes into our house. And, and man, like if you've opened one, like you know what it feels like to pull off the top of that box, that little suction that comes with it. Right? The little Apple iPhone, the little suction, and then you pull it out, and there's your iPhone, and it's all wrapped in cellophane, and the cord's all perfectly in order. And, and, and man, like it's, it's perfect. There's no dents, no cracks in your screen. Some of y'all, that takes like two days to establish. There's no boogers on it from your kids or fingerprints like it's it's pure like we love that don't we it's just me like I love that like I I love it it's so fun to get it why because it's it's pure it's unadulterated like it's exactly the way it was intended to be that is the newness of the creation we're going to experience it's the newness of everything we're going to have it's 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 so new. And, and not only is it new and untainted, but it's, it's real. No, no, think about that. It's real. And most of you are like, yeah, I, I know. It's real. No, no, I want you to think about that. I mean, it's real and it's tangible. So many Christians get the idea and the belief that heaven is some ethereal space that for all of eternity, we're kind of these floaty, ethereal, spiritual beings that kind of float around uh, with wings and we play our little harps and everything's golden and there's clouds and haze everywhere and everything's in soft focus, right? right, So for those of you who like clarity, like it drives you nuts, like everything's in soft focus and we're just singing and everything's wonderful and it's beautiful. And listen, let me just tell you, that is not the picture of what is to come. Someone just said, thank you. Right? Like, like what is to come, it's real and it's tangible. Like, it's, listen, it's physical. It's the Himalayas, but new, unadulterated, untouched. It's the redwood forest of California, like, unadulterated, new. It's physical bodies, which we'll talk about here in just a second, but new, it's animals, but new. It's plants, but new. And let me, let me not stop there. Like it's, it's purposeful work and art and music and creating and food, right? Food and friendship and fellowship. Like it's, it's real. 
There's planets, and there's going to be galaxies, and there's going to be stars for us to look at in the sky. And some of you go like, oh, wait a minute. What about the text that says there's no sun or moon or, or, or sea? Well, we're going to get there, so hold on just a second. So I promise we'll get there. We don't want to ignore that. But it's not just a new creation. It's also new bodies. Daniel chapter 12. So again, just so we don't believe this is something to own, that's only New Testament, it's also the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 12 says, and many of those who were asleep, right? so they've died, they've, they've gone away, like they've, they've, they, their bodies have died, they're in the dust, and they're in the dust of the earth, they shall do what? They shall awake. Some will go to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Jesus says the same stuff in John chapter 5 verse 9. But these are going to be physical bodies given to us. And guess what? They aren't going to remain in heaven. They're coming back to an earth. An earth better than this one. A given to us, it's tangible, it's real. We're going to be able to walk on it. We're going to be able to enjoy it. We're going to be able to experience God's fulfilled original intent for it and us. Like, this is going to be amazing. It's new. It's real. Remember I said I was going to get to the idea of sealess as well? It's sealess. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, I don't believe this means there will not be an ocean. I believe that this represents a consistent theme of the sea as something to fear, chaos, darkness, evil. This theme is carried from the Old Testament all the way into and through the pages of the New Testament. It's the sea in which, if you remember, Jesus calmed with his disciples. It's the sea that is still before the throne because he's calmed all of that. It's the sea, if you remember, that the beast rises out of. There will be no more beast. There will be no more threat of a beast we are being told that the sea is going to be ended. That there will be no place for evil or chaos or the unknown or fear in the new creation. Like, I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to actually be in the ocean. I've had one chance in my life. I was in a boat and I was in the Maldives and they stopped the boat and said, hey, we're in the, basically in the abyss. You want to jump in? And I was like, Sure. So I jumped into the ocean where you can't see the bottom. It's terrifying. Like, there, is, there is very little as unnerving as the unknown of seeing nothing anywhere below you but water. Like that feeling of unknown and darkness and chaos, all of it's gone. There will be none of it in the new heaven and the new earth. He takes it all away. Everything that makes our lives hard, everything that makes our lives difficult, everything that makes our lives toilsome, it's simply not going to be there. Everything that makes you feel like, man, like it's just so dark and I don't know what's coming. I just don't know what's around the corner. Like all of that is going to be gone. All those feelings that we experience, like it's going to be gone. In a new world, in a new creation, but what is there if there's no sea? What is there? Well, his presence is there. 
And that is what is highlighted in two views in Revelation chapter 21 of the holy city. Now, I say two views because I believe that there is a mere image here. So in chapter 21, verse 2, we see the holy city coming down as a bride prepared for her husband. We then see in chapter, we see that it's the dwelling place of God. And then in verse 7, we see who it is for. And then in verse 8, we see who does not belong in the city, right? So we see the people who aren't allowed into the city. But then we jump into verse 9. And John is about to see the bride again. But in verse 10, the holy city is coming down again. So it's either the holy city comes down twice or we're seeing two different pictures of the same thing happening or the same ideas being placed there that are supposed to give us a little bit of a different perspective. So again, in verse 10, the holy city comes down again. We get the dimensions of the city, which is awesomely significant, which we'll talk about. And in the verse 22, it tells us that there is no temple because the presence of God is with us again, talking about the dwelling of God. And then in verse 27, we see again a list of those who are not allowed into the city. So what, here, here's the main theme of both of those images of the new city. And it's in verse 3. And it was already read for us this morning. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Brothers and sisters, this statement is the great fulfillment of this entire book. Like, that's what this is. Like, this, this statement is the fulfillment, this is the hope, this is the fixing of everything that is wrong in this world. Like, everything that is wrong in this world. It is the great hope that God and man are going to dwell again together, unseparated. We see in the rest of chapter 21, both the nature of his presence and the promises that his, promise, that his presence gives to us. So let's look at the nature of his presence. You know, I think it's important for us to recognize that this is something we've never experienced. Nobody in this room has ever experienced the true nature of being face-to-face with the living God. Like, we haven't. Like, this is something we have never experienced, at least not the way that it was intended. And God has always wanted this. This is what he created us to be, to be in his presence. But there was a veil that was put between us when sin came into this world. And it prevents us from experiencing him in all of his glory. His presence is now being unveiled, and it penetrates every single part of this new creation. And what is it going to be like? Well, we first and foremost see that it's intimate. We kind of already told uh, this part of the story, kind of robbed the thunder here, but, but God is involved in bringing an intimate, tender relationship. I, I love verse 4. It has become one of my favorite verses in the book of Revelation. It is this verse where God stoops down and he wipes the tears from our eyes. In the face of so many questions, you read this verse and you're like, how, how, how could I possibly 
This literally came up in our teaching team. How could I possibly ever be joyful in a new creation when I know some people were just sent to the lake of fire? People I love, people that I know, people that I've cared for. Like, how could I ever be joyful with that? How could I ever be joyful when the books that were just open had all of my sins written in them, read aloud in front of y'all and everyone else? How could I ever not be tearful over that? I mean, just think about this. In the face of our sins, in the face of those that we've loved, in the face of all the hurts and the sufferings that we've experienced on this planet, here's what we experience. The compassion of a father. The compassion of a father. He doesn't reprimand us for our tears. He doesn't minimize our tears. He doesn't say, man, shame on you. You should have had more trust in me. What does he do? This is given to us. An image of loving, compassionate father leaning down to wipe the tears from our eyes. Like physically present there. I don't know the answers to all the questions I just asked. But I know this, that his presence in his tenderness and his compassion and his care will wipe those tears away from my face. The everlasting, eternal creator, the one who made the sun and the galaxies and the stars, the one who has unimaginable power, chooses to give us an image of him wiping the tears off our eyes. Because he wants us to see the intimate nature of his presence in the new world. The experience of his presence is going to be more intimate, more tender, more loving than anything we could ever imagine. But the nature of his presence is not only intimate, but it is also restorative. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5 says, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Not all new things, all things new. He is going to restore. Now certainly this replies to creation, to trees and mountains and bodies and everything else, but it also applies to everything else. All things new. So think about Think about the suffering you've experienced in this world. He's going to make that new. He's going to restore it. Think about the hurts and the pains you've experienced in this world. He's going to make that new. He's going to restore it. I, I don't know how, but, but I do know this, that it, the, you take the hardest, most difficult thing in your life and in your world, and seven billion years from now, when we're in the presence of God, in heaven and the new earth, we're going to praise him for it because he's restored it. I, I don't get it, but that's what he's going to do. And not only is he going to restore that, but he's going to restore all of the vitality and the purpose of our lives and the excitement for just living our lives. Some of us know like that actually, I, I hate to tell you this, 16, 17-year-olds, that actually goes away over time. Like right now, you're 16, 17, 18 years old, and you're like, man, I got my whole life in front of me. Everything feels new. Everything feels exciting. There's going to be a day where things start to become dull. That's just the reality, right? I, I, I just use myself as an example. I grew up, I used to love, like, and I still do, but man, traveling was my favorite thing in the world to do. And I've been all over the world. I've seen so many different things. And, and, and now when I get an opportunity to travel, like it's lost some of its vibrancy. Because I've seen a lot. Because 
my body hurts in ways it didn't when I was 20. Like, like I'm a little more nervous about what I put into my body and what it's going to do to me, <laughs> like long term. Like, like things just, and you get this, like if you've lived life and you're in your 70s, 80s, and 90s, like you see, like and you realize that life does get tiresome and weary not here. Every day will be restored. Every day will be new. Every day will be refreshed. You will never have a day where you feel like you've lost your purpose. You will never have a day where you feel like you have lost. All of it will be restored. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. In the nature of his presence. It is new. And it is going to be restored. But it is also going to be satisfying. Revelation 21, verse 6. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Is it not true that this life is a life of constant thirst? Like, do you feel that? Like, I do. Like, we have moments, man, they feel like we have satisfaction in what we have, where we are, who we are with, but it tends to wane over time. The reason is that we're made to be satisfied in God and in God alone. But part of the fall is that we've tried to replace him with thousands of other things. Isaiah asks a pointed question. In Isaiah chapter 5, he says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Is he talking about a filet mignon? No. He's talking about, like, listen, like you spend your life trying to find satisfaction in all this stuff and all your labor, and you work hard to gather more and more and more upon yourself to find satisfaction. But, but listen, he's saying, like, stop, come to me. I, I'm the one that's satisfied. I'm the rich food. I'm the one that you can get. Like, this truth, let's just be real, like, this does not take any convincing to anybody who is honest or brave enough to just look at their own lives, right? Like, we all feel longings. The truth is, nothing here ever fulfills your longing. Nothing ever satisfies you. Marriages fail to meet their expectations. Kids don't fill the hole that they, we kind of hope that they will. And that hole is not filled when we they kick them out of our house, right? So they don't fill it. Possessions, they don't fill it. The praise of men, that's fickle. Our houses, no matter how much we do to them, they need to be redecorated at some point. Our fashion is laughable years later. Like y'all have the junior high pictures of yourself. Right? And you're like, what was I thinking? Like, it all goes away. Food gets digested. You get thirsty again. Like, nothing satisfies. We're like an endless pit. You can just keep putting stuff in, and man, we're just like, we're still thirsty. It's like this bottle of water here. I I will never come to a point, as long as I'm living, where this is no longer needed to sustain me. I will always need something else. I love how C.S. Lewis puts this idea. It's just a simple statement. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. 
I would add to that another world in the presence of another being, someone who is wholly other than we are, God himself. He and only he and in his presence can we find satisfaction. It's the only way it's ever going to go away. And I, I frankly, as you know, I was writing this sermon, like I'll just be honest, like I cannot wrap my mind around never having longing again. I just can't get my mind there. I, I don't know what that will be like, but this is the nature of the presence of God. Not only do we see the nature of the presence of God, but we also have the promises of his presence. What does it bring? Well, look at the city. Now, when we look at the city that is given to us in Revelation chapter 1, it is possible that it is literal, but I think it's more likely that it's figurative and that it's, in, that it's figurative for the people of God who have been built up. Either way, the promises that are here are there for us all, starting with the dimensions. Like if you look at the city, it is seen as a cube. Most likely, this is to communicate to us the image of the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies. So you remember all the way back in the Old Testament, when God was introducing himself to the people of Israel, he, he, he gave them instructions for the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies. And if you go all the way back into the Old Testament, it was that place where the presence of God would dwell. And it was in the shape of a cube in the temple, the Holy of Holies. And the idea that we're being communicated here is that now the presence of God is everywhere. You don't need a, a, a holy of holies anymore. Like it's everywhere. Revelation 21 tells us this. In verse 22, I saw no temple in the city. So there was no cubed holy of holies anymore. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. There's no need of a temple in the new creation and its people and with its people because the dwelling place of God is tangible and it brings a promise. First, it brings the promise of security. We are told this city has walls around it. And again, I think it's likely figurative because when you actually figure out what these walls look like, it's laughable. Let me give you a picture. This is a picture of what this city would be measured to look like. So the stadia that's there would be roughly around, the 12 stadia would be roughly around 1,500 miles tall, wide, deep, right? A cube. Now, it's actually more like 1,390, but just for the sake of argument, let's call it 1,500, right? That's, that's really tall to sit upon the earth, isn't it? The, the, the wall around this city is only 200 feet high. That seems ridiculous. There's a wall that's 200 feet high surrounding a city that is 1,500 miles high. Seems a little odd. But the intent is, is because this is a reminder for us. This is something to tell us that this city is absolutely secure from what? From cowardice, faithlessness, secure from hate, secure from immorality, secure from deception, secure from uncleanliness, is secure from anything detestable ever entering into our hearts, our minds, our flesh ever again. You know what else it's secure from? It's secure from beasts and it's secure from dragons. It is secure. 
Like the walls around this city can never be breached, even though they're only 200 feet high. Imagine never having to fear anything. Like, I, I, didn't, I don't even know what that would... Our brains cannot even comprehend what that is to be like. To never fear anything, to never fear anyone, to never fear being found out. You've all felt that, haven't you? I'm, I'm going to be found out. Like, imagine never being fearful that you're going to be found out. Never having to fear failure, never having to fear death, never having to fear wounds from another person, never having to fear the wrath of God. This is the epitome of eternal security for all of God's people. And it is real and tangible, and it will take place in a real physical world. I actually hate that picture has the United States as the center of it, but nonetheless. Like his promise is going to bring an absolute security that can never be threatened. But there's also the promise of unity. I want you to go back to Genesis in your mind for just a second. Just think about Genesis. When God created everything, he created heaven and earth. And there was no separation between heaven and earth. And they, they connected with one another. Like the Garden of Eden is a perfect example of this, right? Like God walked with Adam and Eve. Like he put them in this place so that they would then go forward into the world and cultivate and have dominion and bear his image. But he was always going to be present because heaven and earth, they were connected as unified, right? Like, like we don't really understand all that because what happened is that those two things were ripped apart by sin. Does heaven still exist? Yes, heaven still exists. And so does earth. But they are no longer connected in that way. Heaven and earth absolutely still exist. But there is a separation of, that cannot be bridged. In fact, when a believer dies, we are told that his or her soul immediately goes from here to here to be in the presence of Jesus. So here's the thing. If you have a loved one who has passed away, who knew Jesus Christ, they are with him right now in heaven. But here's the thing. They don't have new bodies yet. Like they think they're there. Like this is an intermediate state. They're in the presence of Jesus in heaven. The only person in heaven that has a body is Jesus. Like he's the only one. Has a physical body. The rest is spiritual. Like, right? That's God is spiritual. Hell, angels are spiritual. Like, it's a spiritual place. And your soul goes to be with Jesus. Guess what's going to happen one day? Those two things that are separated are going to be reunited. They're going to be brought back together again, unified. Listen, I don't know what that's going to look like other than to say that it's going to be awesome. It is going to be awesome to be able to just go in and out. I, I don't know if we're talking about dimensions. I don't know what it is, but to be able to see the spiritual world, to see all the things that are happening in the spiritual spaces, like, like how amazing is that going to be? I, I don't know. Here's me imagining. So I'm stepping out of scripture for just a second. You know how Jesus, after he raises from the dead, he can kind of like phase through walls and stuff. Maybe that's because he's like going into heaven and then back into earth. And he just kind of goes in and out. Maybe we can do the same. Like, that'll be awesome. I don't know what it's going to look like. I've always wanted to be able to teleport, so I'm hoping that's the way it works. <laughs> right, I go into heaven in Kansas, and I come out on the beach. 
It's awesome. In the blink of an eye. But the best part of all of it is this, and it's represented in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. In your presence is the fullness of joy. You, know, you will be able to access the fullness of joy anytime you want. Imagine the most joy-filled moments of your life. Seriously, think about it right now. Think about the time that was your, your best time. Maybe it was that birth of your kid. Maybe it was the time uh, that you got married to the love of your life or you got that job. Or Think of the most joyful moment of your life. And don't think about my sermon ending. All right? The jo- most joyful part. Whatever it is. You got it in your head? I hope you do. I hope it's not that hard for you. Here's the thing. That's not fullness of joy. That feeling that you have in your head right now, that's not the fullness of joy. You and I have never experienced the fullness of joy. We don't even know what it's like. What you just thought about, the best moment in your life, brothers and sisters, that's a shadow. That is a shadow of what is to come. So man, you think maybe yours was that time you sat down and you had that filet mignon and you're like, man, that's the best thing I've ever had with the date with the girl that you're gonna marry or the guy you're gonna marry. And you're thinking, this is the best moment of mine. That is a shadow of what is to come. We will be able to go in and out and, well, not even out. We will never leave the fullness of joy because we will never leave the presence of God because it'll be united. That's the promise. The promise is also that it will bring clarity to our lives. Have you ever gone through a season in your life? You don't know what to do. You don't know what your purpose is. You don't know what decisions you're supposed to make. And those are, those are hard seasons. You just don't know what's coming around the corner. What if you make the wrong decision? What if you make the wrong turn? Now, in our lives, in this place, in this day and age, we know as believers, God will lead us. God will guide us. God is going to complete us. God is forming us. We know that he's going to bring all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that is unbelievably comforting. But here, in the new place, in the new heaven and the new earth, there is no need of sun or moon to guide because we will walk in the light of God. Now notice, it doesn't say there is no sun or moon. It says there's no need of sun or moon because we will so clearly be able to see everything that God has intended for us. We will know exactly what our purpose is. We will know exactly who we are. We will know, man, those people out there right now who struggle with their identity have no idea that the only hope for being anchored into their identity is going to be found when God is their only light. I mean, this is, this is unbelievable hope for us. He will give us light that we don't even understand now to live unbelievably understanding every aspect of what he wants us to be and we will go into the new heaven and into the new earth as his image bearers fulfilling exactly the calling that he gave to us exactly the purpose that he gave to us individually but also as his people believe that the imagery of this city is his bride the imagery of the city that's built with 12 tribes and 12 apostles is representing God's work in building for himself of people. And we are seeing the culmination of that cultivating work. And I want to I close our time with that as we lead into what is coming next week. Because in creation, God 
cultivated a garden, and then he put his people into the garden. In this, we're getting this image that in our lives right now, God is cultivating a people to put into the garden. Uh, Here's the hope that this is for us. At least I believe this is the hope that we should have. It means that nothing is wasted in this life. Every challenge, every sorrow, every step of faith, every part of your flesh that you have had to die to, every joy, every season of blessing, every celebration, all of it has meaning. Because God, the eternal Alpha and Omega, is cultivating you and me. Not just as individuals, but as people. A treasured possession. When we get there, we will be stepping into an eternal purpose, a complete clarity of life, what it is, how it should be eternally lived, and what our role is in it. This is a promise. This is a promise promise that fulfills every experience that we've ever had and recognizes that our God is in the midst of every circumstance that you're experiencing right now. What a hope that is for us. He is cultivating us. Closing, closing, this is a hope that is available to everyone who has their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Every one of us. The question is, is yours. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Do you want it to be? Do you believe in this vision of life so much that you would give up your physical life for it? Does this vision drive you? Does it give you hope? Does it increase your trust in him daily in every one of your varied circumstances that comes your way? My hope is that it does. Because this is reality for us. But you know what? This also should make us strive for the prize. You know, Paul says that. He says, man, I run the race that I might, I might receive the prize. Like, are you so excited about this prize? I think this is one of the greatest deceptions that the enemy has done in the church today is he has distracted us with this world in such a way we think this world is the best version. It's the worst version. Like, this is nothing. Like, we have such more of a hope to run towards. And everything we do, our striving, our desire to run after God's call on our life, our desire to to be a part of the church and be connected to God's people, to hear his truth, to be led by his truth and his light, all of it is because we have been so captivated by the hope we have that, man, we run because that's the only prize we want. Is that how you live? I'll just be honest, like there's days that is not how I live. But Revelation 21 is calling us to live that way. Whether you're 10 or you're a hundred. It's calling us to live that way. Because none of us know when our souls will go to be with Jesus. So are we living? Are we striving that way? Are we leading towards that? Secondly, as you consider that question, is your name in the book of life? some of you, that's not the case. 
Like you simply have not put your faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have assurance of this at all. Like this is not your hope. You don't have the assurance of this. I get that as Christians at times we can struggle with the assurance of this hope for us, but it is anchored in the blood of Jesus Christ, which we're going to celebrate in just a minute. But for you, if you don't know Jesus, like you don't have, this is not your hope. So what do you have here? Uh, like what is it here that is so intoxicating that is keeping you from the hope that Jesus is trying to give to you? That you can have that. That's what he's calling you to. That's what Brandon was talking about last week at the great white throne judgment, right? It's that moment where and we're all going to have to stand before the Lord and give account. And for some of us, we say, I have no answer, but Jesus is righteousness. And then this is where we get sent. But for others, what are you going to say? You're going to say, well, I try to be a good person. It's not going to be good enough. And you're going to stand on the outside of the city looking in. And Jesus is giving us this vision in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 so that you can see it now, so that you can come to him and actually enter into the city as opposed to be on the outside and see it. So here's how we're going to close our time. If you came in this morning, I hope you grabbed your communion elements. Why don't you go ahead and take those out? And if you did not grab one of the communion elements, please raise your hands. We've got a team of folks that are going to be coming around. We're going to give you some time here in the next couple of moments to just uh, to just comprehend what God has in store for you. And so here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to talk to two different types of people, and and I know that there's some middle ground. Probably some of you who don't know which category you fit into. But let me just talk to the first type of people. Like if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to take the next couple of moments to ponder the assurance that this sacrifice, sacrifice of your Lord, gives to you for your hope. And I want you to thank him for it. And if you're not walking in a way that keeps your hope in front of you, if you're not walking in a way that may like, like, like you're running with that zeal, you can lay that down before him and his grace and mercy is going to be present for you and you can rededicate your life to follow after that. But for you, this moment is a moment that you get to be reminded that your entrance into this city isn't based on anything you do. It's based on Jesus's gift of righteousness given to you by the work done on the cross. And so as you do that, as you can just ponder and you confess and you thank God and you abide in his love, when you feel ready, I want you to just take out the bread and and, and just say in your mind or in a little prayer, say, this is the body of Christ broken for me. And then take of that juice and, and say, like, this is the blood of Christ spilled for me. And, and dads, husbands, friends, and I encourage you, maybe even do it together out loud within the little group of people that you're sitting next to. But if you're not a believer, I want to encourage you to not partake in this moment. And, and that's not because we want to keep something from you. It's because the scripture says that this is for those who have cast all their trust and hope in Jesus. It's a declaration for us of our expectation and our hope and our, and our rest. And for you, I want you to take that communion. I want you to just hold it. Here's what I just ask you to do. I just want you to ask yourself the question, do you have assurance of where you'll be? 
do you have assurance of where you'll be? Is this your destination? Do you want it to be? Because this cup represents your only door to this city. It's your only path and it's narrow and it will require you to lay your life down. It will require you to to give him everything, but man, he gives everything in return. So that's you this morning. I want you to just ponder that question. And then as we end our time, Ryan's gonna lead us in a song. And as he does so, as we kind of stand, I'd invite you to come up to the front. We're gonna have prayer counselors, elders up to the front ready to just talk with you. And maybe you're somebody that says, I kind of would like that hope, but I've got a ton of questions. Can I just say something just out loud? I dare you to come ask. I dare you. I dare you to come ask with an open heart because here's the deal. This can answer every one of your questions because these are the words of God. And he is not afraid of your questions. The spirit is not afraid of your questions and we shouldn't be afraid of your questions either. And so I dare you to come and ask one of those pastors, I'll be up here as well, you can come ask me. And you say, listen, like if you have a heart to really find out those answers, like he's there to give them to you. And so I'd encourage you to do that. But I'm gonna pray and I want you to just consider these things for the next few moments of stillness and silence. And then Ryan is gonna lead us in a time of worship. And so take communion as you feel prepared. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we've read this morning, we've taken times to consider things that we really, in so many ways, we cannot even fathom. We have never experienced a world where you dwell with man unseparated by sin and brokenness. Like we We just never have. And so we want to long for it. We want to strive for it. We want to just pray that it would come soon. I pray that in your people, you would put that zeal in our hearts. I pray that you put it in my heart. That we might be able to walk in victory. That we might be able to walk in hope. And we might be able to walk and just uh, and strive for the inheritance and the prize that you've guaranteed by the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those in this room right now that they don't have faith in you. Father, I pray that you would break their hearts of stone by your spirit. That you'd open their eyes and their hearts, that you would give them the desire to have this hope that can only be found in your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you that we don't have to be good enough to get in to the city. We, We just need to cast ourselves at the cross. Follow Jesus. He'll lead us in. So grateful that his body was broken to pay the debt of my sin and our sin. So thankful that his righteousness is sufficient to cover all my unrighteousness. And he took my unrighteousness that I would not have to bear the penalty. Father, would you help us as your people to rest and to abide in that goodness. Pray and ask these things in your name.